As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This morning, I'd like to continue on with the sermon series, St. Luke's on Broadway, as we look at Hello, Dolly. Hello, Dolly is one of the most successful musicals in Broadway history. It opened on Broadway on January the 16th, 1964. It would run for 2,844 performances for seven years. It would not close until December the 27th, 1970. It would win 10 Tony Awards. It opened a great acclaim. But the fascinating thing is, as it had this seven-year run, in 1967, they opened up another whole production of Hello, Dolly! on Broadway with Pearl Bailey, African-American, playing the role of Dolly. It was an all-black cast. There was another actor who got a good start in that Hello Dolly run, and that was Morgan Freeman. But you had Pearl Bailey starring on Broadway, and the show was breaking box office records. It ran for several years, and then it went on a 10-year nationwide tour. While the original original, um, Hello Dolly was still running on Broadway, the movie came out in 1969, starring Barbara Streisand, And then starring Walter Matthau, it came out to great acclaim, and that was in 69. So about five or six years here, you had Hello, Dolly! everywhere you turned. There were nationwide tours, movies, Broadway. There has been four revivals of Hello, Dolly! on Broadway, with the latest being April of 2017. Earlier this year, Hello Hello Dolly came back to Broadway with Bette Midler starring as Dolly Levi. Now, you got to look at Hello Dolly in the story and you wonder, why is it such a successful show that for 50 years continues to bring in the crowds? I mean, last week we were looking at West Side Story, a modern-day Romeo and Juliet And there's all this pathos and drama. You don't get that in Hello, Dolly. It's a whole different kind of story. You may remember it if you have seen it. I mean, Hello, Dolly is about the 1890s. And Dolly Levi, who's a matchmaker. I know we say we don't have matchmakers today. But I know you. I was visiting with a couple this week who was getting married who talked about how many friends had been trying to get them introduced and to get them together. No, you may not get paid like Dolly did. You know, that, that was her job back in the 1890s. No, nobody thought anything about that. No, there was Horace Vandergelder. Horace Vandergelder was half a millionaire. 
He lived in Yonkers. He had Gilderfelder, the Horace von Gilderfelder's hay and feed company. And he wanted a wife. And so he hired Dolly to get him a wife. He was a middle-aged man, a curmudgeon, always grumpy. Just kind of think Walter Matthau. It's a good idea of who he's supposed to be. That's the kind of spirit that he was. And he wanted a wife because he told Dolly, you know, a wife really does good at doing the chores. That's very romantic. So Dolly's supposed to find Horace a wife. And then, of course, there's his niece, Ermengarde. Well, she's in love with Ambrose, and he's a, an artist, and Horace doesn't feel like he makes enough money on a regular basis, so he's against the wedding. And then Horace has a couple of clerks, and these are young men who are good young men, um, but they don't have a whole lot of experience out in the world. Their sole dream is to get to go to New York, and they want to go to New York so that they can have a great meal and see the lights and kiss a girl. Well, Dolly tries to help them all. And they all make it to New York. They all wind up at the same beautiful, fancy restaurant. There is chaos. And in the end, Dolly succeeds. She takes care of getting the young clerks hooked up with their wonderful new ladies that they've fallen in love with. And so Ambrose is getting a new wife and she winds up marrying Horace. What kind of a show is that? I mean, you go through the show, what is it we can relate to with Hello, Dolly? With a kind of show that's going to end just so happy and everybody in love with a matchmaker in the 1890s. And yet for more than 50 years, it keeps breaking box office records. I think the reason is because the show, this musical, Hello, Dolly, really is about how this woman needs to choose to embrace life and to love. And all the people that she is dealing with must choose life and love. After struggles of different kinds in everybody's life, fundamentally it comes back. Will you embrace life and choose to love and bless life? It really is the question and the issue that the disciples are facing in our scripture lesson this morning. We go back to the book of John. We've been looking at the book of John for several weeks now in our St. Luke's on Broadway series. And John, as I was telling you earlier, is a little different from Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And we're reading again from Jesus' farewell discourse. It runs from chapter 13 through chapter 17 as Jesus is talking with his disciples, telling them that he is about to go away. He is going to die. Their dreams about life are about to die. They had dreamed of overthrowing the Roman government, that Jesus would be king. They would establish the kingdom of Israel. They had all these hopes and all these dreams. They were all going to die. They loved Jesus. He was going to die. 
They would no longer get to sit at his feet, gathered in some house listening to him teach. They would no longer see him heal the sick or the lame. They would no longer break bread with him. Jesus was going to be taken away. They would know grief and their dreams would die. But Jesus is saying to them in this farewell discourse, God is going to send you a Holy Spirit. God is going to send you strength from beyond yourself so that you might still embrace life. I'm telling you these things, he said, so that my joy might be in you and your joy might be full. Isn't it interesting while you're talking about dying, dreams, and a loved person, that Jesus is saying, I'm telling you these things so that my joy can be in you and your joy can be full. You can still embrace life. You can still love and live. With God's grace, you can do this. It is a fundamental human condition. And that's why I want us to look at this scripture this morning. And I, and I want us to look at Dolly. And I think there's just two things that I want to say. First of all, in this musical, Dolly has to choose to rejoin the human race. There's a very powerful scene. If, you know, if you're seeing all the kind of funny things that go on in the big musical numbers, you may be missing the depth of really what's happening. And in case you are, at the end of the first act, they want to make sure you get it. And so Dolly has this soliloquy. She is talking to her late husband, Ephraim. And she says to Ephraim, for years now I come home each night and I lock the door. I feed the cat and then I have a rum toddy. But I'm all alone. I want to live again. I want to be alive again. Ephraim, I want to feel again. I opened my Bible and out fell an oak leaf. I put that leaf in there the day you asked me to marry you. It is now very brittle. It breaks. It is colorless, lifeless, just like me. And then she breaks into a song. Before it goes on, and only I'm left. Before the parade passes by, I've got to get in step while there still is time left. I'm ready to move out in front. Life without life has no reason or rhyme left. With the rest of them, with the best of them, I want to hold my head up high. I need a goal again. I need a drive again. I want to feel my heart coming alive again before the parade passes by. To choose to embrace life fully and to live when life has not been what you dreamed or wanted it to be that's why Jesus was talking to the disciples. You're about to experience grief. He's going to die. Your dreams will die. 
But through God's grace, you find a strength and a hope from beyond yourself. I'm telling you these things so my joy might be in you and your joy might be full. That's not going to be the last word in your life. You know, the first person to play Dolly Levi on stage was Carol Channing. And Carol Channing kind of owned the role. And that really became her. She played it for more than 5,000 performances. She played it on Broadway. She played it with a touring company. She's played it in revivals on Broadway. 5,000 performances. Carol was very much known, really, as Dolly Levi. It was interesting. You know, she's now in her mid-90s. But back in 2002, when she was in her 80s, she wrote her memoir. And in her memoir, she talked about how her husband had now died. They'd been married almost 40 years. He had passed away. And she was thinking back to when she was in middle school. She said she was in middle school when she had her first love. His man named Harry Kilimjian. Harry Kilimjian. And she said, he just, she said, I just loved him. I couldn't keep my hands off of him. I just wanted to hug him all the time. Well, she told her story of being in middle school and kind of just moving through her life. Well, anyway, the book came out and a friend of hers was reading the book and she knew Harry. And so she called Harry and got him the book. And she said, you need to call Carol. He hadn't talked to Carol in 70 years. But he called. And when he called, she was so thrilled, he called and they had a date. Two weeks later, they were engaged. <laughs> Three months later, they were married. He, they were both now more up into their 80s. They'd be married for eight years before he would suddenly have an aneurysm, a stroke, and die. But Carol would reflect back and say, those eight years are some of the happiest years in my life. I want to love life again. I want to embrace life again before the parade passes by. You know, Carol was 44 years old when she played Dolly. Pearl Bailey was 49 when she played Dolly. Barbara Streisand was 27 when she played Dolly. Bette Midler is 71 playing Dolly. Now, you know, I, I looked at that and I thought, there's an important message here. It doesn't matter whether you're in your 20s or you're in your 70s, you can relate to the message. Life can be difficult and you grieve and dreams die. But I can choose to join the human race to live again to love again, to feel alive. Bette Midler is 71. You know, I've been working on this series for quite some time. I knew the shows we were going to be looking at, so I'm always reading and trying to listen. I saw an interview with her months ago now before the show opened on Broadway. And it was fascinating to see Bette Midler now at uh, 71 years old. And she was so excited about the role. You know, she's won a Tony Award for her performance now on Broadway. No, she, she's carried it, and they're packing the house night after night. But she told about her life and growing up and how 
she grew up in Honolulu. That's where she was born and raised. Her parents were Jewish. Her grandparents were Jews escaping out of Russia and Poland. They were growing up in Honolulu, and she said her mother was a seamstress. Her father painted houses and painted ships for the Navy. But she said it was not a happy upbringing. There was a lot of strife in the family. Her father was never happy with anyone. He always was running everyone down. In fact, years later, after Beth had been so successful on Broadway and had great success, he would still say to her, you're just wasting your time. You should have been a teacher. No, when you never get affirmation and you never get any kind of love, well, you try to get out of there as fast as you can, and that's what she did as a, as a young person when she could finally leave home. She went to New York, and there she went and auditioned, and lo and behold, she got a part in Fiddler on the Roof on Broadway. First time to be on Broadway from 1966 to 1969 in Fiddler on the Roof. She had two sisters. One of them came out to New York to see her. And while she was there in New York, she got hit by a taxi cab and was killed. The grief that she felt, almost guilt that she felt, Bet would leave New York. And she would go on to movies and television, recording. But she never came back to be on Broadway until now. It's been 50 years since she's been on Broadway. She was 39 years old when she met her husband. They dated for three months and got married. Still married to this day. They had a child, a little girl. And then she got pregnant again and had a miscarriage. There would be no more. She talked about her life, the ups and the downs, the joy and the pain. And now at 71, she, she looked so calm. She had streaks of pink in her hair. And the person who was doing the interview asked her about it. And she said, why did you do it? And she goes, it's fun. Isn't it just fun? No, she just looked at her life and... The person said, well, when you look back and you're thinking about your career, and she stopped him and said, I don't ever look back. Never. Ever. For if you're looking back, you can't see where you're going. And I'm wanting to live life before the parade passes me by. To choose to embrace life, to join the human race. It is a fundamental choice that every person must make because every person will deal with grief and loss of dreams. Jesus talks to his disciples and he says to them clearly, I'm going to die. Your dreams are going to die. But God is going to give you His Holy Spirit to give you strength and grace. I'm telling you these things now so that my joy might be in you and your joy might be full. Can you embrace life? Secondly, for Dolly, well, her mission was to lead people into love. 
Her mission was to share love, to bless life. Whether it was going to be Cornelius and Barnaby, the clerks there for Horace, whether it was going to be Ambrose and Ermagard, whether it was going to be Horace, her mission in life was to share love and bless life. You see, if you choose to say, I'm going to embrace life, then you're also saying, I'm really going to choose to embrace love and be there to bless life. The big question for Dolly was, will you love again? She's the one who had to embrace life again, to love individually again. Well, there's a very poignant time when she is talking to her late husband, Ephraim. And she keeps saying, Ephraim, I need you to give me a sign that I can go love again. Give me a sign. The very end of the show, there is a sign. It is from Horace. Horace has finally come around and decided to ask Dolly to marry him. But now she isn't sure. Should she say yes? She's waiting for the sign. And suddenly Horace gives a quote that was Ephraim's favorite quote. And the quote was simply, Money is like manure. It's not worth much unless you spread it around and help a lot of young things grow. Money is like manure. It's not worth much unless you spread it around and help young things grow. That's what Ephraim had always said. That's what Horace said. For Dolly, it was a sign. And that's what she was doing, was spreading love around and helping love to grow. That's how you start to embrace life. It's about Dolly coming back to life again because she's going truly to love. Pearl Bailey was such an amazing lady. You know, Pearl Bailey, here she's African-American, growing up in the United States, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s. Such a turbulent time in our country being torn apart by race, bigotry, prejudice. And yet living with all that she had to go through, she embraced life. She was someone who loved life and she loved people. It was said that Pearl never saw color. She just saw people. And she was this kind person and loving life. You know, she would have this incredible career playing Dolly, but so many other things. When Pearl was 60 years old, she went back to college, Georgetown University, and by 67, she earned a theology degree. She wanted to keep on learning and growing all of her life. She was a lady of great faith. But, you know, before she had all the great success with Dolly in 1967, back in 1949, years before, she'd already been on Broadway She'd been in a couple of movies, had some songs. She was having a good name and as a star, but not a superstar yet like she would become. Now, 1949, there was a club owner there in Greenwich Village at the Village Inn. And he decided he'd been having lots of people come and play in the club who, they were okay, but they were all amateurs. He wanted to get a name that would draw a crowd. And so he went to Pearl Bailey and said, would you come play in my nightclub? 
Would, could we sign a contract? You could come here for a while. I think it will generate new patrons and, and maybe give us a great boost. Because right now he just had all these amateurs. She agreed to come check it out. She came to the club that night. There was a young man who was performing. His name was Joe Barry. It turned out that Joe had been coming to the club for a long time. He was always there every night hoping that someone might get sick or they needed a number for a transition. He would, he would sing for free. All he ever got was a drink for singing. I mean, he just wanted a break. And the only way he knew to get a break was go to the club and have a chance to sing. And sure enough, Pearl Bailey was there. And in the end, she went to the nightclub owner and said, I will agree to come and play your club if you will sign this kid to be my opening act. Well, the club owner went to Joe and said, Pearl Bailey wants you to be the opening act for her performance. I was about to give you the boot, but you get the show. And so Joe suddenly is now getting to work with Pearl Bailey. He's an Italian kid, white kid, and here's Pearl Bailey taking him under her wing, showing how do you work and reach out to the crowd? How do you have a song to warm them up? How do you speak to them? I mean, she started teaching him, here's how you put together your show. Well, because Pearl Bailey's there playing and he's now learning, other people show up, and one of the people who shows up is Bob Hope. Bob Hope's there to see Pearl Bailey, but also sees Joe Barry. And he is so impressed that he signs Joe Barry to a contract at Paramount in order to go tour with him. But he says to him, I don't like the name Joe Barry. His name was actually Anthony Dominique Bernardo. And he said, I don't, I think we need to do something different still. How about if we just go with the name Tony Bennett? And so Tony Bennett began to tour with Bob Hope. And Tony Bennett is in his 90s and still singing today. But he will tell you that it's Pearl Bailey who opened the door for him, who blessed him. She was so kind and good to him. And he knows that he has life because of her. To spread the love around. To be there to bless life. If you're going to embrace life and you're going to live, it also means you're going to have to choose to love, to spread it around and to bless life. The song that we all think about when you think about this musical is Hello, Dolly. It's a song that was made so famous by Louis Armstrong. It's really fascinating because the song Hello, Dolly, if you watch the movie or you watch the, uh, the musical, well, sometimes it's sung by Dolly and sometimes it's sung by other people and there's different places it can be in the show. It really is sung in many different kind of ways, but it was Louis Armstrong who sang it that really brought out the meaning as he sang the song basically to Dolly. Louis Armstrong, you remember, grew up in New Orleans during a time when life was tough, incredibly poor, the poverty, and again, the racism that went on in New Orleans, this black kid growing up. I mean, he had nothing. He was taken in by a white family, 
the Karnofskys. But soon Louis saw that the white people weren't treating this family any better than they treated the black people. And he came to realize it's because they were Lithuanian Jews. The Karnofskys had a son, Louis' age. They shared, became best friends. They gave him a home. They fed him, kept him in school. It was the Karnofskys that would take Louis to work. They'd ride in a wagon, a horse-drawn wagon. They'd go pick up junk and coal. And every day when they went, they'd pass a music shop. And Louis would look in and say, man, I wish I could play a trumpet. Every day, I wish I could play a trumpet. Nobody had the money to buy a trumpet. But one day, Mr. Karnofsky stopped that wagon and got off and went in the music store and came back with a trumpet and gave it to this kid and said, kid, learn how to play it. And Louis Armstrong learned how to play the trumpet. He loved it. Mr. Karnofsky opened a door that he could never have opened on his own, much less a roof over his head and food on the table. And when Louis grew up, if you look closely, you'll find he was always wearing a cross. He is a strong person of faith, but he also wears a star of David. To be able to say thank you to the Karnofskys, for whom he believes God loves too. He started the Karnofsky Project. Still goes on to this day in New Orleans, where you take used instruments and refurbish them, give them to children who would not be able to afford them, and then teach them how to play to give them hope. And he did that to honor the Karnofskys, who gave that opportunity to him. Now, you know, Louis Armstrong in the 60s, again, at such a time of racial struggle, and yet you find this man so popular. And it's because of this spirit, how he just loved life, but he loved people. It was 1963 when Jerry Herman wrote the song, Hello, Dolly. And in the end, it was Lewis's manager who asked, could Louis play this? And he didn't care. He wasn't going to be, no association with the show, certainly didn't think it'd be used. But they gave him the music while he's in a recording studio there in, in that December. And he and his band read the music, they played it, he sang it. They moved on to the next piece. It meant nothing to him. He didn't know the show or what it was about. Well, in January, the show opened on Broadway to big acclaim. In February, unbeknownst to him, they released the record he had recorded. He's traveling through Iowa. He is touring and he's giving his concerts and suddenly has people clapping and shouting, Sing Hello, Dolly! He just goes on to the next number. Next night, sing Hello, Dolly. He goes on to the next number, but he goes to his band that night and says, what's this Hello, Dolly thing? And he said, don't you remember the song we recorded back in January? He didn't remember it. They had to call New York to get the music, got the music, they rehearsed it. Now the next night they came out and they played Hello, Dolly, and the crowds went wild. So the show is gaining momentum. His record's out. He's now touring and singing it. And the song does a strange thing. It's not how it works on the music charts. Suddenly, it shows up number 78 on the top Billboard 100. And then it moves to 60 and 50 and 40 and 30. 
It became known as the Hello Dolly Express. It was building momentum and you could not stop it. Until finally on May the 8th, 1964, Hello Dolly became number one on the pop charts, displacing a group that had held the top spot for 14 weeks with three different songs. Can you remember what group that would be in 1964? (laughs) Yeah, it's the Beatles. I want to hold your hand. She loves you. Can't buy me love. Can't buy me love was knocked out of number one by Hello Dolly, Louis Armstrong. 62 years old. He became the oldest man, the oldest person, to ever have a number one hit on the top 100 pop chart. 62, Hello Dolly. It would be there for four, for nine weeks. Why? People resonated to that love of life. But to the love that was shared... It was a story, a song about a woman who had to choose to join the human race again to embrace life, to choose to love and to spread it around. That's really at the core what the message was about and that's what the song was about. Hello, Dolly. This is Lewis, Dolly. It's so nice to have you back where you belong. You're looking swell, Dolly. I can tell, Dolly, you're still glowing. You're still crowing. You're still growing strong. Jesus said to his disciples, I have told you this so that my joy might be in you and your joy might be full. It's in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let each of us lift up our own silent prayer. Amen.